Thank you for tuning into Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan Kane. Welcome back, returning listeners, and if you're listening for the first time, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Radio Never Apart is an interview feature started at the beginning of 2020, which launches monthly as part of the Never Apart online magazine. I have interviewed some incredible people in various aspects of nightlife and nightlife culture across North America, including performers, DJs, drag performers, promoters, and so many more. In this episode, I'm speaking with Stephen Hughes, one of the founding members of the House of Pride. House of Pride is a multifaceted, multi-talented group of performers that emerged in Montreal in the 1990s. And if you've listened to last month's episode, you'll know a bit about them because I interviewed Martha Carter, aka Marta Marta, one of the other founding members. House of Pride is the focus of an exhibition at Never Apart for our summer 2021 season titled Ballroom Boudoir. Stephen, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Hello, Jordan. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> so I'm speaking with Stephen Hughes, one of the founding members of the House of Pride. Stephen, where are you? Where are you now? You're not in Montreal any longer. I understand you're in a different part of the world. I am. I live in Los Angeles. Amazing. I moved here after Montreal and have been here. Uh, every sense, surprisingly. Wow. <laughs> and um, and what what took you to Montreal? I know a little bit about your backstory from having interviewed Martha, uh, Marta, Marta of the House of Pride. But um, can you take people back to your, I guess, what you consider to be your origin story in terms of arriving in Montreal and and that phase of your life? Well, um, I knew Martha already, Marta, Marta, and um, so she had invited me to Montreal. So I had gone to visit and was just taken by everything <laughs> i was just like oh this whole other world this whole other existence this culture and here it is right on the other side of the border mm-hmm. uh, it's not like i have to be on the other side of the world for this mm-hmm. and um you know just i found all the art super exciting and uh, the language and the people were beautiful and the dance world was phenomenal um the contemporary dance world and I just got a little excited and I really didn't know what I was going to do I was still in college when I made that first visit to Montreal it was during my wow. spring break and actually Martin Martin and I collaborated on my uh one of my senior performance projects wow. <laughs> at OSU and um then I was lucky enough that I was in the university dance company and we had a tour to Europe that summer so I graduated but I stayed on and went on this tour to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and then to London to do some performances. Mm. And then most everybody had to go back and start school. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> over in Europe, I got a free you know, flight over here and I got a little bit of money from graduating in my pocket. I'm just going to stay for a while. And I went backpacking all over the place. Mm. I just was like, I'm free. <laughs> you know, <laughs> finally, I'm free. <laughs> and it was so life changing. So when I got back to the States, it was a point where I'm like, you know, I don't 
think there's a lot of choices for me. I really think Montreal is the place for me. Mm. Uh, New York, the dancing at the time was obviously always interesting, but uh, just the focus that they were kind of leaning towards, I was more interested in kind of the direction the world of dance in Montreal was, kind of with a lot of self-expression and really unique, individualized uh, creations. Hmm. So I was like, uh, Martha, I'm going to come. <laughs> She's like, well, uh, kind of back that way because she'd invited me, but at that point she'd already hired another dancer for her company. Wow. And it really wasn't the position and so forth, but it's like, I'm one of those people when I make a decision it's like you can't talk me out of it I'm doing it it's like okay well that if that's not available something else will be I'm just I'm, I'm moving forward things are <laughs> the momentum is moving and it's got to keep going brilliant I can totally relate <laughs> <laughs> it's so much effort you know to get that ball moving so once it does it's like oh it's just easier just to kind of let that go and yeah. sort of starting to all over again yeah and what was Montreal like when you arrived there? What are your memories of it in that earliest period? Like Montreal as a city and yeah. where you were hanging out? Montreal was very interesting because it was such an eclectic city and an art-filled city. And at that time, an inexpensive city. And that was the element that was really un- kind of made it even more unique. I think, you know, people who were in went to Berlin at a certain period in time, might have experienced that too. Like when you can get to a city that has all these amazing things going on, but you can actually live and survive as an artist is really a gift. And Montreal had that and offered that. Hmm. And I feel like, you know, kind of everyone who needed, who was like young and wanted to become an artist needed to have like a, I needed to go to Montreal and have some time in Montreal before they went back to the rest of the part of Canada or wherever they were from. And Montreal was just this great stomping ground for a young, crazy, wild person like me. <laughs> <laughs> Very inspiring place to be. <laughs> and and so your background had always been in dance prior to that? Like, that's what you'd studied at school, is my understanding? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I um, went to a very intense Southern Baptist boarding school for high school. Wow. And where dancing was illegal, like Footloose. But I mean, oh my gosh. illegal to the point where you could be put on the farm to work and that kind of thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's not pleasant. Um, so when I graduated, it was just kind of like, I'm going to enroll and take modern dance, grand classes and ballet and just start living and doing things. And mm. like, I realized I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew everything I didn't want to be. So I just mm. started opening up possibilities and I was a very curious kid Mm -hmm. brilliant (laughs) so that led me to dance even though I didn't have dance previously I did want to be a performer as a kid but um I was very shy so it was kind of interesting to kind of combat that and to manage it to continue to be who I I am. Hmm. In my interview with Martha, like she talked about the the way that you both were a part of the dance world and how that started to lead into something as well as participating in nightlife. Like those were sort of happening in tandem that you started to create what became eventually House of Pride. Yeah. Um, I, you know, started going into the clubs, you know, before I was legal. They luckily had after-hours clubs where alcohol was not being sold, so we could get into alternative clubs uh, in Kentucky way back wow. in the day, which was surprising. And um, I was all, you know, 
it was a whole new world for me. And I was just like, had a lot of energy and I just wanted to express myself. So I was just kind of a wild flailing dancer on the floor and then realized how much I love for dance and kind of led me into wanting to know the technique and make it a career. Mm. Um, so like I said, I was really fascinated by the dance world in Montreal. It was really like unique and um, world renowned. But I realized that the dance world is very much insulated and very much just into the dance world and especially mm. the modern dance contemporary world at that time. Yeah. So you could spend all this time and energy and perform for a couple people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be those extremes sometimes. So mm. going into the club and seeing that, you know, there are stages there already, there are people there already. I um I'm a believe a strong believer in like putting art and putting things that challenge you and make you question and look at things differently where the people are. Like mm. it doesn't need to be in house just in a museum or just in the plush theater. Like I really love street art. I love putting it improvisation on the street, the club performances and just bringing it to where the people are. Mm. So we once, so you know, we were inspired by all the things going on. We were going back and forth to New York a lot and just getting, you know, in the scene, hearing all the different music and DJs and just continuing to take it all in. And we auditioned people in New York thinking that maybe we would move to New York and start something there. Martha had lived in New York uh, previously. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we things going already in Montreal so we just made the decision that we're going to stay there and we started finding such amazing talent there and that mm. you know we all started working together and that led into the House of Pride being formed so yeah it was kind of just just flowed <laughs> amazing what are some of your what are some of your sort of early memories of the House of Pride kind of coming together and also who 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 is part of House of Pride yeah um well my, I started going to the balls. My first, my first ball, my first two balls I went to uh, were in Montreal, and then the third ball I actually competed in. And uh, Blaine Charles, uh, Blaine was in Montreal uh, from New York, and he started having these world ball competition aids fundraisers and awareness, mm. and uh, they were spectacular. And uh, one night he asked me if I wanted to be in the next one, and I was like kind of super busy and doing a lot of things at the time but I was like oh my god this is why not mm -hmm. <laughs> why, say yes why say no when you can say yes yeah so I did and you know I totally like the first the first thing I did was completely like it wasn't as embarrassing it's just like you know there's only one winner so I didn't win mm -hmm. <laughs> but then the next the next uh you know you got to get back up and go back out there and yeah. do and do it so the next um category was the the final of the evening and the, kind of the grand prize and i like won the grand prize finale and you know people were literally peeing their pants weeds were flying from the balcony pins across the board this was just this mayhem and energy and uh you know it was just like incredible and just totally redeemed myself from my you know previous entrance and um, wow. It just opened a door for us into the mm. club world. And I had incorporated my photography into that performance. So it opened up a door of bringing something different into the club world that it didn't have in Montreal at that time. Mm. And my photography at that time was really a lot of, well, I just got back from the March on Washington and Gay Pride New York 
and it was the imagery that I was projecting was you know fight you know fight for a cure or, uh, you know be yourself uh, live your authentic self and all these different messages and showing other people who were doing that so it was like you know we didn't have Facebook we didn't have the you know the social media so people were seeing like oh my god there's so many other people out there that are moving in the direction I'm moving in. This is mm-hmm. so encouraging. So just sharing that with people. So there was just a synergy that night that just was over the top and it opened a door for us. And then we started moving in through the door and, you know, it all came together with the fabulous group of people that, you know, the house of pride became, it was uh, Gartina J uh, who is no longer with us she passed a few years ago Mm. so um total superstar goddess talent extraordinaire Mm -hmm. and then there's jackie jet and kia and frigid martyr martyr myself and uh, we are the six you know we are the house pride Mm. (laughs) wow we are family (laughs) (laughs) it's so beautiful i mean and as you know yeah i got to spend time with three of the members of House of Pride and I got to interview Marta Marta for this podcast and now I'm speaking with you and and obviously have been witness to the presentation of the exhibition so I feel like I've gotten to get a sense of the aesthetic and the energy and the feeling um can you talk a little bit maybe for somebody who's listening and who hasn't seen this yet what what the sort of aesthetic was all about and even what your personal aesthetic was about as a performer what were you incorporating? Yeah, um, I was super inspired by Madame Simone when I met her mm. about 30 plus years ago or so. <laughs> and um, she just blew my mind. I didn't know that drag could just be so many things. Mm. In Kentucky, it was really kind of a drag scene that was you know, coming, it was a very different drag scene than what Montreal offered. And I think Montreal offered a drag scene that was very different than a lot of places Mm -hmm. uh, where people were being individual characters they were creating. They weren't trying to imitate, you know, Cher or somebody. They were really just creating a persona. They were letting their creative juices and artistic expression just flow. And that just like was such an eye-opener for me that I was like, oh my God, I can really just create whatever I want. That Mm. um, it's just another form of me expressing myself. So it allowed me to kind of approach it just from an artist who wanted to try a lot of different things. So Mm. I started off really bad. You know, my makeup was like Lucy Carmichael, you know, blue (laughs) eyeshadow and red lips. And hopefully the mascara wasn't all running down my face. It was really just like, it wasn't my focus. (laughs) let me say to those listening it got significantly better some of those photos steven the makeup is like jaw-dropping it is so incredible thank you we've all you know we really pushed each other to get better and pushed each other for excellence and um you know it's interesting you know people now know more about the ballroom world and the creativity of it and the drag world and the creativity of it but back then you know if you were out of it people didn't know so you were yeah. doing all these things like the house of pride we wrote material we were creating music we were doing the visuals and the choreography and helping sometimes creating costumes sometimes having people make things for us and it's just so multi 
integrated. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Skills that you have to pull on, hats you have to wear. Queens are. I bow down to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, many many people have have said that. I've I've, I've had that said in other interviews. Like um, just that drag because it incorporates so many things, and then for like one single person to be responsible for all that goes into that. Um, it's, it's a ton of work, but I also love that you were working together as a collective to sort of support one another. And I think it's really evident. I mean, especially in the photographs that are in the exhibition, um, everybody just looks so beautifully sort of harmonized is the word I would use. And that standard of excellence is kind of there. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's quite incredible to, to sort of see that as somebody who wasn't around at that time, Wow! but it really you. shows in the photo. It really shows in how it's been documented. Yeah. Ballroom Boudoir, the exhibit, House of Pride exhibit at Saunter Never Apart right now. Um, it's been really interesting, you know, putting it together and finding those images that kind of are fall under this ballroom boudoir title and it really has a feeling like it was mm. interesting going through these photos um i mean most none of you know i guess but um basically my photography of the 90s went into storage in 2000 and just came out <laughs> really so it's been in storage this century um so it's kind of having a, a moment of Pandora's box opening. <laughs> There's so much wow. in there. I love, love, love drag queens. So I just have thousands of photos of drag queens from everywhere I was. And it's quite Pandora's box. <laughs> wow. Can you speak a little bit about like the nightlife scene in general in Montreal then in the, in the 90s when you were most active? Like were you going out to other places and other clubs or were you seeing other performers? Oh yeah. Um, I photographed everybody like, so I think that probably put me in a different position than maybe another queen possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't really a threat. Um, and possibly I don't even know if that's the right term to use, but like, uh, I was doing my own thing. Hmm. And a lot of times, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I was going out dressed up to go out dressed up to take pictures hmm. because I was passionate about taking pictures. I wasn't getting hired by the club to take the pictures. I was just doing it on my own. Hmm. And then I started putting those pictures into performances and then the club started wanting those pictures in the club. So then my photography started being these slideshows that would, I would create all the time for different clubs and different events. So it was kind of like this interesting loop that I did it out of passion but then it came back around that I was able to use it and show it and have a place to show it Mm. (laughs) Mm. and uh, the club scene back then in the 90s was so eclectic and it just was full of energy and life there was a lot of things changing coming out of the 80s and coming out of you know not coming out of AIDS but coming out of kind of a specific period of AIDS and, mm-hmm. and what was going on at that time and people realizing that we had to make some changes politically to save lives mm-hmm. and that we also had to not only be in grief mode all the time that we actually had to go out and celebrate too so mm-hmm. it's just kind of like this whole mix of celebration empowering ourselves getting more political trying to really create a future that was open to diversity and embracing and loving to all people. Hmm. 
And the queens in Montreal at that time were so diverse. Each one was unique and different. And it was just inspiring to go out and just to see all these people and all the looks they came up with and all the shows. And I just took my heels and keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a time, like I remember Montreal drag was very well, like it was quite renowned for that. There was a pair of drag performers that arrived in Vancouver or were living in Vancouver around the time that I first started going out to clubs and they were from Montreal and it was like they were so known for just these two they always did sort of like a paired look but like these costumes Stephen were like mind-boggling and this was the late 90s early 2000s um so you had yeah you had these different sort of there was like a region you know, a regionality, but I say that in a really positive way in terms of how drag in different cities looked and felt. And, and I don't know if that's the case anymore. I don't, and I don't necessarily say that it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that as lots of people know, right, social media has created this access that previously wasn't there. So as a result, everything gets a little bit kind of homogenized in some ways, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, the clubs do seem different. Uh, I haven't been in the ones in Montreal, but and of course with COVID, I haven't been ones anywhere yes, <laughs> recently. True. Before that, it just yeah, you know, shift. But it's great that you documented that. It's incredible. I didn't realize that you had a whole photo archive also of other performers in Nights Out and other drag performers in Montreal and stuff. Yeah, and also a whole flesh, flesh, so much flesh. I did a <laughs> lot of uh, in studio artsy kind of fleshy cool. photos. <laughs> Beautiful. My first photo exhibition. I got into photography just by self-taught. I uh, had studied dance, you know, I knew the ins and outs and what was right and wrong and wonderful to know. And also it can be limiting sometimes because you're not, you know, you can be so self-critical when you're not doing it right. The line's not perfect or your body doesn't look the way it's supposed to in some sense. Sure. But with photography, I just threw myself in and I really didn't want to know anything (laughs) i was like i just want to experiment i just want to play i just want to have fun i don't want to have rules yeah and i just am doing this for me and documenting what i want and i kind of love a lot of things so i will photograph the queen and i'll photograph my niece and i'll photograph the kitty and i'll photograph the street sign (laughs) it's just kind of a little bit crazy obsessive but it was just I, it was just kind of how I was seeing the world and processing it. And I didn't even really kind of put it together that I was creating this long lasting documentation. I mean, I'm lucky that it still exists, I guess, because it could have been lost in the last 20 years. Sure, sure. And the photos are exceptional. I mean, it's actually quite mind boggling to know that you're not formally taught because all the photos in the exhibition in particular, like they're really gorgeously lit. And just Thank beautifully you. composed. Stage lighting really helped me. And yeah. I, like I said, I just wanted to experiment. So I just played around a lot. And, um, you know, not having rules gave me a lot of freedom to do things. And people were always asking me, what can I film using? And kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I'm attracted to the things that probably you're not attracted to. <laughs> so it's okay. Totally. And sometimes you can actually just learn your own unique approach when you're not subscribing to the sort of prescribed rules. So kudos to you. I mean, that's a very artist's brain way of approaching it. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the sort of arc of House of Pride, uh, which Martha shared a little bit from her perspective. And I would love to hear your memories, I guess, of 
how it sort of evolved for all of you and what what that sort of time period just how, how it evolved I guess yeah I guess you know each person bringing their own skill set to the table and then each person kind of evolving and getting better at it we're able to share skills and talents and um like Jackie Jett, she helped me so much with makeup. Mm. And unlike so many makeup artists, she would allow me to look in the mirror and see what she had just done so I could figure out how I could do it myself. Mm. Most people, you know, they don't want you to look because they don't want your opinion <laughs> until they're done. And I, I can get that. But at the same time, to her to be open for me to be able to do that, it allowed me to like learn some skills myself, mm. which helped me to then propel my look and uh explore just other new possibilities you know mm. just another tool in your toolbox it's you know instead of painting a canvas you get to paint your face and mm-hmm. it was a moment of meditation during that process too so it was just kind of a fun evolution and just part of the process of going out so it's kind of almost the, the down before the up mm. the, a good down a meditative down before the up and uh, Gartina and Frigid were so rhythmic and musical and great dancers, and they were able to bring their musicality into the group and to really help create music and music mixes for the House of Pride. You know, Kia is very fashionable and, and has kind of interest in bringing that into the drag world and that supermodel kind of polished look and posing, and, and that's a huge part of the ballroom world, so that was very much integrated and important and marta mm-hmm. has so much training in music and dance as well and mm-hmm. administration so she had this huge amount of skill sets and i was i was there too <laughs> no don't say that you you obviously brought whatever i could you brought a ton to the table i have no doubt my goodness and just your energy and your creative eye alone right thank you um i I um, like to cook, I like to sew, so I was able to bring kind of those elements to the table too and um, just kind of help nurture the, the group on a, on, a, on a food level. I've been plant-based my adult life and vegan, so I was able to kind of introduce the, the children to eat good, healthy, organic food. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> and, um, and so and the, you performed for most of the 1990s right like yes i did mm-hmm. for the whole 1990s uh then i took a break for a few years and then basically performed from i did totally take a break but not out there really thinking you know i have to think about it sometimes like oh yeah i did do that and that during the first couple of years of 2000s but then i really got back into performing again i guess it must have been about 2007 and then performed really actively all the time until COVID. Mm. And I moved into circus more. Okay. So I took the drag to a higher level, was added stilts to my feet. Do you, um, do you remember sort of like an end point to House of Pride or was there a point that for you, you felt like it ended? A lot, you know, a lot of things happened. Um, it's an amalgamation of, a, of everything. You're putting your heart and soul out there and, um, the world was definitely Montreal. There were so many people who were ready and accepting, but I mean, the world at large, I mean, this was before Ru- RuPaul was just becoming, you know, just getting out with her album in what, 93 or something. So it was just yeah. all around the same time. So it was a very different climate. Yeah. So there's a lot of dreams and, uh, you know, that we had that it was just kind of 
I think if we would have stayed together and kept going, those would, would, it would have happened. But, you know, at the same time, there's life and there's club life. Mm-hmm. And even though there's great creativity and inspiration, there's still a lot of other elements of club life that can really be taxing and play a toll on your body and mind and spirit. And the gay world can be very harsh sometimes just in the critiques. And mm-hmm. uh, people... There's some jealousies that can happen outside the group that can then infiltrate in different ways, subliminal, subliminal ways into the energy. And um, we were trying to do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just a natural progression of it, the kind of explosion of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think each person also needed to go out and discover themselves outside the group too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can't, uh, criticize that. That's amazing. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For everyone to go out and just be their true authentic self and, and to, you know, now we come back together and it's amazing that, you know, we kept, we kept, you know, enough love and respect and admiration for each other that nothing ever got so bad that that, would never happen yeah so it's really beautiful to see this love and support that we're having with each other again and uh it's just a testament to alternative families absolutely absolutely and um and i think covid prompted that for many people was a period of reflection and being you know sort of forced to assess like either our surroundings or to look back at some things that maybe we hadn't you know, we'd been meaning to, but hadn't looked at it in a while or worked on it in a while, or now had an opportunity to just based on maybe a little bit more availability of time and stuff like that. And it sounds like that was really when some of this work began in earnest to consider sort of reflecting on the archives and stuff a little bit. Can you talk about that process, like how you began to sort of reconnect? Yes. Well, it was shocking hearing about Gartina's um, passing. Hmm. So I think that was a real eye opener to all of us. And um, just how important it is to stay connected to people and to people you love. And it's easy with the today's busy lives that we create to just get so self-involved and just to be in your immediate surroundings. And But to also remind yourself of the greater. And um, so when that happened, uh, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And... Um, about it wasn't right away we organized a memorial and martha and i met everyone in montreal and the people know and we had a memorial for gartina i guess this was in 2017 up Mm. on the mountain mount royal Mm. and um it was a beautiful moment of everyone coming together and sharing you know beautiful memories of our time with gartina and her amazing talent and gifts that she shared with all of us. And um, there was a talk about a documentary at the time too. So it just kind of like got me to like come back home and start looking through through my stuff hmm. that uh, was on all these crates. <laughs> and um, I did, I really got kind of, you know, just kind of dug into it all. And then it was kind of, I kind of shared it with the people I needed to share it with who had been talking about different possibilities or things that could happen. And then I was like, God, you know, I really feel like I just need to live in the present. I need to live right now in the now and going back and looking at this stuff in the past is cool, but I need to be 
now and in the present. So I kind of like, okay, if the energy is flowing outside and they get it going, I will participate and I will give you what you need. But I was also just kind of like, I really need to be in the moment. Hmm. And then with COVID happening, uh, it just, you know, we kept building our relationships. And then when COVID happened, it just kind of like opened up opportunity. And Joffrey, you know, messaged me one day. It's like, let's, you know, let's do, let's have a call. And, you know, it's Cartina's birthday. And we can just reminisce. And I'm like, yay, wonderful. Let's have, and she's like, and, you know, like, let's call everybody and invite them. And then it's like, great, let's have a tea dance. And then, you know, and we all get together and on Zoom and, Joffrey's like, well, let's meet again next week. And then it's just like for a long time last year, we were meeting every week on Zoom and having these meetings and just talking and, you know, kind of processing and just uh, inspiring each other. And then that just got me back into digging into those archives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's over 30,000 slides and negatives. Of wow. Work in there. And, you know, it's buried under 20 more years of being an artist and stuff. And um, so it was just kind of like, it's a big undertaking. Yeah. So, and I was pretty rough on things. Uh, we lived in a construction site for a part of for quite a bit of the 90s. And my photos were in these slideshows. So some of the slides were going there. And a lot of times it was making duplicates. But there, mm. you know, there's smoke machines and circumstances and you know, everyone with two cigarettes and one in each hand. And <laughs> it was the 90s in Montreal. Yes, I'm just going to say, you know, Montreal specifically, people love a cigarette in Montreal, like even to this day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they didn't even need a smoke machine. It was got every oh <laughs> So I just started digging through it and we had decided that we wanted to put something out last year for Gay Pride. And that became our short film, Queer Nation, which is a memorial uh, to in loving memory of Gartina J and to all the queens that I know and photograph that are no longer with us that mm. I had photos of. And um, we, so yeah, I had to kind of start digging this out and scanning images because it's all on film. It's it's analog, it's um, not digital, none of it. It never been digital. Hmm. I'd never been into Photoshop. I completely, it was opposite end of the spectrum. I wanted hmm. my work to look like Photoshop and not be touched at all. Wow. It was all in-camera work. And uh, that had to change because the work had to go from being digital, I mean, from being analog to being digital. Right. So... I had to scan it and in the process discovered how much dust and scratches had been on there and it had to do quite a bit of archival cleanup. Hmm. And that's what I, you know, spent most of my time finding the ones ballroom boudoir. I just want to say before I have it on my mind, it was the pictures that were chosen were because they had a feeling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I try to stay out of my head and just go with the ones that had feeling and, um, that's so that's how the the show came together um so just a lot of cleanup and digitizing and trying to figure out photoshop like i didn't know anything about it so it's been a lot of a big learning curve on Mm. my part and i hope the work looks good (laughs) it looks incredible wow my goodness i mean that's fascinating to know that that was part of the process as well for you yeah it doesn't look totally worked on or reworked but 
for sure would have needed it after yeah. <laughs> 20 years. Thank you. I didn't want it to look reworked. I really yeah. wanted it to keep its truth and uh, as much as possible, but I'll, yeah. but it's just so distracting when you see, you know, the multiverse stars of all in your yeah. photo when there should be, it should be black, you know, and one eyelash you're seeing the whole universe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that was part of the process um, for that. And um, we released Queer Nation last year, the film, um, for Gay Pride. It got a great response online. And then the Image and Nation Film Festival showed it last year in their festival. And then it's gone on to be part in, in India to Gay Film Festival. And hmm. then the song that we used, it was in uh, Joffrey created it, finding uh, some acapella song of Lolita Holloway and was able to create original music and bring in Jackie Jett's voice and create a whole original composition using that and we were able to get the rights and we had performed with Lolita Holloway back in the 90s wow. at Metropolis during the, and um, we'd always had a connection to her because of her amazing diva voice and we loved her and had a great time with her and had her back to our house for a vegan after hours dinner and uh what Stephen, are you kidding me wow (laughs) she was like satan what is that you don't even eat chicken (laughs) (laughs) i had to tell you i was just just uh yeah just own when i gave up chicken (laughs) (laughs) what a memory she is um i mean love sensation has got to be one of my absolute like favorite of that era of like gospel disco songs so um, yeah Wow. So yeah, that just all you know has always been magic around House of Pride. So it just yeah. like has been kind of riding the magic. Yeah. This year, uh, you know, letting that continue to feed us. Yeah. It's just kind of renewed. It's kind of like you know we're born again. In yes. A way, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but with all this past history and all of us having a, a life unto ourselves and knowledge and experience that we can bring to the table. Yeah. And so you've been in L- in L.A. now since. 2000 and well since like the mid mid to late 2000s yeah well yeah uh, i moved to la uh summer of 2000 i arrived the day before gay pride and went to frederick's of hollywood and bought nine inch stilettos and slip-ons and did the gay pride parade the next day on santa monica boulevard which was all torn up because they were renovating it and was a total disco queen and had a great time went home and cried and just like oh, what have I done <laughs> I mean that's quite a uh, you know, I, it's a big I, shift I arrived and I was I decided I was gonna stick it out and see I didn't I knew like I didn't have to stay here if I didn't want to <laughs> okay because that's a big shift I mean culturally LA is very 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 different from Montreal I never in my life not for a single moment ever 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 think I would live in California just all shifted in 2000, mm. maybe starting in 98 to 2000. But it, and it literally happened where I was walking around in Montreal, like near, like I was trying to decide, like I knew I needed a change. I felt like I was hitting the ceiling of maybe success or expression. I, I wanted to also change, change things up a bit and just artistically for myself. So I was trying to decide where else to go. And I was thinking New York, maybe LA and, New York was very interesting then. It had really become very gentrified, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't the New York that I remember. So, LA, I didn't really know. I'd only 
visited LA once for a few days. So it was kind of really just unknown. So it was the unknown that attracted me. Hmm. And I had a really dear friend here and he had been inviting me many times to come. So I had that going for me as well as I was walking around in Montreal one day and the writing was spray painted on the wall, live and die in LA forever. (laughs) Here I am in Montreal and there's this English graffiti speaking to me, like the writing's on the wall. I'm like, okay. And everything was coming at the lay and it just was like, happened like that on a dime. Wow. I'm going to LA. So I did. So what what does your lifestyle look like in LA? I mean, you strike me as somebody who's very creative and connected and has a grounded sensibility to you. So how do you find living there? Well, um, I guess, you know, being trying to stay grounded is always is a continual act. Yeah. Of, <laughs> so LA I guess I'm very lucky and blessed at the, where I'm at at the moment because I have a garden mm. and that is really a place for me that's very healing and um, an escape from kind of what you think of LA. Yeah. And I raise my own, I don't raise all my own food, but I raise some of my food and fruits and veggies. And that just is so, just love getting my hands in the earth and, mm-hmm. uh, just being part of that process and watching a seed burst through the soil is just like, ah, triumph. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, you know, nurturing it and trying to protect it. It's just like a great process and just a, a great metaphor for me and creatively in all different ways. And mm-hmm. LA, LA had one thing I've discovered about LA is that people can come here and really make a life out of the things that you would just never, ever dream of and make a success at it. So that's inspiring Mm. to me. Mm. And um, even though we live in the city, there's so much nature in California. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful state that coming here, I I started camping and going to Moon Tribe and going to Burning Man and Mm. a burner and being able to go and party outdoors and yeah. to be creative outdoors. And it was just like, no matter how loud the music, if I could just back up as far as I want, cause there was no walls and I could be the dance as big as I wanted. And mm. it's, I had fresh air and you could see the full moon and see the sunrise. And it just was like this opening of, Oh my, wow, this is so different than what I'm used to. Yeah. It's 40 degrees below zero weather in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, people can't even wrap their heads around those Montreal winters. Like, you, unless you've experienced it, I don't think you can even conceptualize just how, how harsh There's it can no be. There's no way. There's no way. I mean, people say, yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I know. I'm like, yeah, no. Chicago's severe. But <laughs> Montreal's worse. Something <laughs> shifts. <laughs> well, Stephen, on behalf of Never Apart and myself, this has been so incredible to learn more about House of Pride and the evolution in Montreal in the 90s. I just want to say a huge thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Stephen, the House of Pride, and that this inspires you to check out the exhibition Ballroom Boudoir which is on view until September 25th, 2021, and can be experienced on the Never Apart website by clicking the Exhibitions tab. 
If you're in Montreal, you can visit Saunter Never Apart in person every Saturday between 12 p.m. and 5 p.m. Be sure to subscribe, leave a comment or review on whichever platform you're listening through. And you can find me on Instagram at Jordan King Archive.